0: Welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing for Pragmatic Marketing, and your host. Today, I am joined by our very own Dr. Mark Stiving, Pragmatic Marketing Instructor, Pricing Expert, and Eagle Scout. What's up, Doc? <laughs> Thanks,
1: Rebecca. It's going to be another great day, thanks.
0: It's going to be a great day because today we are going to talk about an awesome topic, right? So one of the most interesting and complex things about pricing in my mind is that you can't do it in a vacuum, right? Almost every single product has some form of competitor, and how they price products can directly affect yours. And this is a topic I have found really interesting since I read your article in The Pragmatic Marketer in spring 2015 about something you called, or that is called, The Prisoner's Dilemma. So let's talk a little bit about that and and how that relates to pricing.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, So if you don't mind, today what we're going to talk about is a lot of my life philosophies and how surprised I was when I learned about the prisoner's dilemma and the power of how it explains things in the world I didn't understand before. And we're going to tie all that into pricing because this just is perfect when it comes to pricing.
0: All right. Well, let's talk. Tell us a little bit about your life philosophies, Mark.
1: Awesome. Well, I I actually have two philosophies that have driven me through most of my life. And I'm kind of embarrassed that it's that simplistic, but here they are. The first one is called utility theory. And utility theory essentially says everybody always makes every decision in their own self-interest. There was an awful lot of adamant everybody always but but it turns out that I think it's pretty close to true, and it certainly helps my thinking. Please note I didn't say selfish, I said self-interest, because oftentimes we feel better when we help other people. So when I do a favor for you, Rebecca, I feel really happy that you smiled and I got good feelings out of it. The same as I get really good feelings when I eat ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe slightly different feelings, but I get good feelings. And, And so I could do good things for other people and get good feelings, and that's still in my own self-interest. The other one of my life philosophies has been Darwinism, and that is simply saying that, that the things that tend to survive are the better things. The things that are survival of the fittest is what we always hear when we hear the words Darwinism. But one of the biggest problems that I always had was I would meet these people who are are just plain nice, They would give you the food off their own plate. They would do anything for you. And I couldn't explain this using Darwinism or self-interest theory, utility theory. And cause if you think about what Darwin would say is that people would take advantage of them until their genes would never propagate. So they shouldn't be in our society. How do you explain all this? And that's that's where the prisoner's dilemma really tied into me. It says, oh, I get it. That makes so much sense. So now we have to talk about what the prisoner's dilemma is.
0: I enjoy the fact that niceness has to have a philosophy for you. <laughs> Why would they be nice? How would that happen? <laughs> it just has to
1: have an explanation. Exactly. Is that fair? Yes.
0: Well, and even, your, even earlier when you talked about self-interest, if it makes you feel good to do it, that is within your self-interest. But... I'm in. I've got gotcha. you. So how does this relate to pricing?
1: Yeah, just pretend that we're going in the, this path for a little while if that's okay. You bet. So, so let's tie this back to the prisoner's dilemma for a second. And, and, and Rebecca, I'm going to go back to the article and read, read a paragraph from that article, but I'm going to put it right in your bailiwick. This is you now.
0: All right.
1: So imagine you are arrested by the police for robbing a bank. Mm. You, of course, are innocent. They also arrest another person for the same crime, but they keep you separated. He looks sketchy. Now, in the interrogation room, the police say to you, we've caught your accomplice. You guys are in trouble. You should confess now to make your sentence easier. And then they explain the possible sentences. Now, this might get a little confusing. I'll say these fast, but then I'm going to give you your decisions, and I'll make it really clear for your decisions. Is that fair? Sounds fair. So here are the outcomes. If both of you confess, you both get three years in prison. If both of you stay quiet, stay mum, and you don't confess, you both only get one year in prison. Better. Mm -hmm. However, if you confess and he doesn't, he stays quiet, you go free and he spends five years in prison. Yet if he confesses and you don't, he goes free. And you spend five years in prison
0: if he confesses and I don't I get prison time and he doesn't
1: correct Mm -hmm. so now let's I'll ask you the questions in a a much clearer manner for a second okay let's pretend that you know that he confesses okay you know right now that he confesses if you confess you're gonna get three years in prison if you don't confess you're gonna get five years in prison which would you prefer Mm
0: -hmm. I'm going to confess.
1: You're going to confess. Okay, I'm got confess. it. What if he stays quiet? So, if he stays quiet, he doesn't confess. If you confess, you get no years in prison. You go free. If he stays, or if you stay quiet, you get one year in prison.
0: Hmm. I will also confess.
1: So you're going to confess because, in, no matter what he does, you get less prison time. Yes. If you confess. Now, it turns out I could flip the exact same questions to him, and he has the exact same incentives you do. So both of you are going to confess. Both of you get three years in prison. And yet, wouldn't it have been a better outcome for both of you if you both stayed quiet? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Because then you both would have gotten one year in prison. This This is the magic of the prisoner's dilemma. Now, now let's go ahead and tie this to pricing for just a second. This is exactly the same thing that happens in pricing, because if you've got two companies that are competing with each other, say they've got essentially the same prices. One of them lowers their price by lowering their price. They get more market share. They make more profit. And the other company doesn't lower their price. Then they get the less profit. If both companies lower their price, then both companies end up with less profit. And just like in the prisoner's dilemma, both companies have this incentive to say, let's charge lower prices. Because no matter what decision my competitor makes, I'm better off if I charge a lower price. If my competitor has a lower price, I wanna have a lower price. If my competitor has a higher price, I'm better off if I have a lower price. And so you would think that we're driving prices down constantly, Because of this prisoner's dilemma situation
0: so a lower price in this scenario equals a confession yes
1: a lower price is a confession yes
0: okay so then it's safe to always do the lower price but again if we both did higher prices like if we both stayed mum if we knew that they were gonna do that then I would that would be optimal
1: Um, So let me let me correct just a little bit if you both stayed mom or you both had higher prices that would be optimal But if I knew the other guy was going to have a higher price I'm still better off if I have a lower price. It's that knowing. thing. Oh, right if I don't know And yet we can both coordinate on this higher price somehow Then we both are better off But once I know what you're gonna do then I can take advantage of you by charging a lower price
0: Because it's in your self-interest.
1: Because it's in my (laughs) self-interest. Very. That's a great callback.
0: (laughs) There you go. Okay. So I know what's going on. I can always do a lower price to get better. Yes. Well, let's look at that. Where where do we see that? Do you have examples where we see that in the market?
1: Uh, Well... Anytime we see aggressive price competition, we see this. I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. Do you have one for me?
0: Uh, Well, if you think about like the the big box retailers and they always have pricing drives and they always say things like, you know, we will match the lowest price. I'm not sure how that fits in here, though.
1: Yeah, that actually remind me me to answer that. I'll answer it now. Um, it turns out that that's a great example of how you can use game theory to keep industry prices high. Because as we think about this this game theory example that we've been talking about right now, you always have an incentive to lower your price. What if I publish the fact that if you lower your price, I'm going to lower my price? It took away your incentive to lower your price. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating about that? Is that we always look at these things like we'll match anybody's price and we say, oh, that's really cool because they're going to be aggressive on price. What they're really doing is telling the entire industry, don't compete on price because you can't win. So we end up holding up industry profits with that.
0: Okay, I I, I follow why that happens. I'm just saying what I don't understand is if I know they would lower prices, then I could lower prices and we would both confess. Yes.
1: Yes. But but here's what if I did the following? What if I what if I got to move after you? And I say to you, if you stay quiet, I'll stay quiet.
0: Oh. Right. Yes.
1: And and so that's what essentially what this sign says is that we'll match anybody's price. Says I'm going to move after you do. So if you lower your price, I'm going to lower my price.
0: So we're in fact projecting what we're going to do. Yes. About colluding, which would be bad.
1: Which is illegal. Yes. 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 So so just to be clear, we're never, ever, ever calling our competitors and talking to them about pricing. Ever. For that privilege, we get to go to jail.
0: But then we'll know to confess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now let's jump. We're, we're about a third of the way through this. Okay. If that's okay. I'm in. So, yes. So now let's jump to the solution because obviously companies have found a way to not always compete on price. And it turns out the solution is, we don't don't always compete on price because of the fact that we play this game over and over and over again. I can look at what you did yesterday and make a different decision today. And because we have all this history of information, we can now make intelligent decisions. Even though I can't call you and coordinate, I can can see what you did and make a decision on what I'm going to do based on what you did. So this is what's called in economics, it's called the iterated prisoner's dilemma. So we're we're playing the same game over and over and over again. And, And what's fascinating about this is that now that we've got this iterated prisoner's dilemma, you could create different strategies that say, how would I play this game if, if I knew I was going to be playing it over and over and over again. And there was a a guy named Robert Axelrod. He wrote a book called The Evolution of Cooperation in 1984. This was just the coolest thing. And and here's where I I learned about niceness. (laughs) (laughs) So, So it turns out that he put together a game where he would play different strategies against each other. And he invited academics all around the world to subscribe or to send him in strategies as to how you would play this game. And he would take every strategy and play it against the other one. Um, And and it turns out that there was one strategy that beats all the other strategies. It was really cool. And it's called tit for tat. Hmm. And tit for tat essentially says, I'm going to start out by cooperating. So my very first time I ever play with you, I'm going to. I'm going to have a high price or I'm going to stay mum. I'm going to start out by cooperating with you. And then from that point on, I'm going to do whatever you did last time. So if you started off cooperating with me, we're going to cooperate forever. Right. If you, if we're both playing tit for tat strategy, we both cooperate forever. However, if I'm playing tit for tat and you decide that you're going to start off by confessing or charging a low price, the next game, I charge a low price. And if you still charge a low price, then I still charge a low price. And and it's fascinating because this tit for tat strategy beat out every other strategy you could imagine. Interesting. I was enthralled, absolutely enthralled by this because you you go on to read and and you read what Robert Axelrod says about what winning strategies had to them. What were the characteristics of those winning strategies? And, And the first characteristic he defined is you have to be nice. <laughs> and, and by nice, all he said was we don't defect until our opponent defects, right? We start out cooperating, we're gonna cooperate as long as they cooperate, isn't that really good? And, and suddenly those really nice people make sense to me. They're like, oh, I get it, it's, it's the strategy. Not that they know it, it's evolution blocking <laughs> that strategy, but it's the strategy. I
0: enjoy it, that you learned niceness from tit for tat. Isn't it, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the economic version of the golden rule, but I'm in.
1: <laughs> and that, so, so a couple other things that he learned. Um, retaliation was really important. So you can't just be a blind optimist because if I'm just going to cooperate all the time, then your best strategy is always to defect, always to charge a lower price. And you'll just take advantage of me forever. We have to be forgiving. Doesn't that sound nice too, Rebecca? It does sound nice. We have to be forgiving. And so if if you if you charged a low price and then I came back and I competed on a low price, then if you say, oops, didn't mean it, you don't say that legitimately to me, but you just, in your mind, you think, oops, didn't mean that. You raise your price back up. I need to be able to forgive you and bring my price back up too.
0: Right. So you don't... Not punitive pricing changes afterwards, like because you know they tried it once and you've got to stock them. It's interesting too because I think what separates uh, the prisoner's dilemma a little bit from the same philosophy in pricing is the repetition that you brought up, right? Like hopefully you're only going to get arrested once. You only (laughs) you only you only wear the ski mask to the bank one time. It's a one time mistake. Uh, (laughs) But with pricing, you're going to continually shift your pricing. So the ongoing parts of it require a different even level of cooperation and a different level of, um, response.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and so I have to give you the the two last characteristics that he came up with because these two are awesome and, and they're great lessons for us to learn in our pricing. So one of them was clarity. How clear are we being, how clear is our opponent being? So if you think about pricing, if I see my competitor lower their price, and I'm playing a tit for tat strategy, then I want to say, Oh, he's competing on price. I should lower my price. But what if he really wasn't, what if I just got a purchasing agent who was lying to me about the competitor's price Mm. and I end up lowering my price because I heard, I thought that they were lowering their price. And so the real trick here is we need to be as clear as we're allowed to be in terms of what are we doing in our price moves? Why are we doing those price moves? We don't want to start an inadvertent price war, and then my favorite one is non-envious. We so often think that in the business is war, and my job in business is to beat you, right? I've got to beat you, but it turns out that if we, if we instead of instead of thinking about how can I do better than you, I think about how can I do the best I possibly can. I do the best I can when you do the best you can. Right, when we elevate industry profits, not just my profits over your profits.
0: I find it fascinating because, you know, it really does sound very altruistic. Um, and yet I can look at it that way because that might be my bent and you can go, aha, you know, there's, but there's real numbers behind it either way, right? It's not just being altruistic. It's not, you can think of it that way if it makes you feel better. But at the end of the day, that's how you will both make more money. It's how you maximize your profits.
1: A- absolutely. Absolutely. I used to do a it I used tastes to teach, to nice. That's it's it what it we're it doing. Nice. Yes, <laughs> yes. Tastes like ice cream. Exactly. <laughs> I, I used to do a study when I would teach a class, I would pair up students and I would give them essentially the prisoner's dilemma using price and and have them play the game over and over and over again with this one person. And when it was all over with, I wanted to know who had the highest scores. And so we'd always write the highest scores on the board and I would write both opponents' scores on the board. And you would always find the highest scores come from one of two reasons. The one reason that made sense is because, well, we were cooperating all the time. And so therefore we both had really high profits. The only other time that people would get high profits is if they were playing against someone who Boy, what word should I use now? Is nice or is not overly bright? Because right? cause if all you do is cooperate constantly, even though the other guy's cheating you over and over and over again, the other guy will do really, really well. You're going to do really, really poorly.
0: Well, in that case, it's not cooperating, right? Yes. You're just always lowering prices,
1: I guess. Well, in that case, it's you're always keeping your price high letting them charge a price lower than you are, and never coming down to compete with them. You're just letting them take your business from you,
0: Mm.
1: constantly.
0: You're confessing over and over like a patsy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like a patsy.
0: All right, so it seems to me for this to really work, though, you have to be able to be fairly fluid on your pricing. You have to be able to make pricing um, changes pretty quickly, right, so that you can respond in time. Yes? Yes. So okay.
1: we, we do need and, – and most companies have a pricing policy where they can adjust prices on a regular basis. We, it doesn't mean that we do adjust prices constantly, mm-hmm. but we could if we needed to. And if we were in a market where our competition was lowering their price, we would find a way to get our price down and compete with them.
0: And I suppose the, the longer it took for the price chains to trickle down to where the consumer would see it, then um, – The more benefit it would be if we could telegraph our changes, right, without colluding and being illegal, um, making signals earlier about what we're going to do, could be helpful.
1: Yes, yes, we see this in the airline industry a lot. At least I remember I used to see it in the airline industry a lot, where one company would announce a price increase, and what they're really
0: a new imaginary fee.
1: A new imaginary fee. Water is now
0: $50.
1: (laughs) And what they're doing is they're waiting to see if anybody else announces the same fee. And if someone else announces the same fee, they say, yep, we're just implementing it like we said we were. And if no one else announces it, they say, oops, didn't mean that. That fee doesn't really exist.
0: Ah, so the baggage fee was a big one of this, right? I don't remember who it was first, but it was a fairly large announcement. And you would think like – why would you make an announcement about a fee? Why would you call attention to this thing? But it was exactly that to see, "Hey, you know, market, will you follow us along?"
1: Absolutely. And and most of the market did, and so it went through. And by the way, those fees are what makes the airlines profitable nowadays.
0: You say that like I'm supposed to feel bad for them and glad that they're <laughs> charging me for my bags. <laughs> I have
1: so not. so I, I, I wrote a blog many, many years ago, but it just struck me as interesting where I was reading a, an, an announcement from Hershey's chocolate and they were talking about how the price of chocolate is going up because the price of sugar is going up. Mm. Now, there was only one reason for them to write that article, to write that announcement because they don't want to tell us they're raising prices. They're trying to tell their competitors, "Hey, we're going to go raise prices."
0: Interesting. And you, th- I mean, candy bars seem f- fairly uniform priced, so it obviously worked. Yeah. Well, they do keep going up in price. Yes. We could We could make ourselves feel old right now and be like, "When I was a kid, you could get a candy bar for a quarter." Yeah. And then you were like, "I could get it for a half a penny." <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
0: So old they have half pennies. <laughs> All right. So what what are do you have any other? So we talked about airlines. We talked a little bit about the big box retailers and their don't try to lower your prices because I'm gonna match it anyway. We talked about Hershey's chocolate. Do you have any other examples where maybe you've seen this prisoner's dilemma in action?
1: Boy, you see it in lots of different places. But but I I could make the following argument. Anytime companies are selling Anytime two different or competing companies are selling similar products at prices well above the cost of manufacturing those products, Mm -hmm. then they're using prisoner's dilemma to implicitly collude and hold those prices high. Because almost without a doubt, if I knew that one competitor would never change their price, would always leave it at that high price, the other competitor could lower their price a little bit and steal a lot of share. Make a lot of money. And so just because there's so much margin in there, it's only being done because this implicit collusion is happening.
0: So I I, I suppose the other part of this is that you have to really carefully monitor your competitors' pricing.
1: Absolutely. We want to watch our competitors' pricing. A lot of companies don't do that. What they do watch is their sales and their share. And what they see is once they start to lose share, then they go figure out why. Oh, it's because our competitors lowered price. And then they're going to take that next action. Mm. Um, Some companies do have systematic uh, processes where they're monitoring pricing from competition. That's much more common in the retail space where you can go out and scrape web pages and see what people are charging.
0: How often did you do this in your career? How often would you check competitors' pricing? What's a good way to make sure you're keeping eyes? I mean, I know it would depend a little bit on, but for our listeners, what would be something you would recommend?
1: Well, I spent a lot of time in the semiconductor industry and we were watching prices because we could download or we could web scrape prices off of the distributors who are quoting prices for our competitors' products. And I think we went and scraped those about monthly and all we ever looked for were price changes. What's different this month than the month before? Because when we saw the price changes, then that gave us some indication of what they were trying to get accomplished, what their strategy was.
0: This is pretty fascinating, Mark. We went all the way from your philosophies to prisoners and bank robbing, which I was <laughs> obviously rolled over very quickly and confessed all day long. Uh, it's, it's some really great pricing conversations, but in terms of how you talk to cooperate, uh, you know, retaliation, forgiveness, it's, it's, we, learned, we learned a lot today. We did. We did. We did. Anything else you want to add to this particular topic?
1: So I'm not sure I need to add it. I said this once before, but I don't know that we emphasized it enough. And that was that non-envious one that I really liked. Mm. But, But think about what that says. What that says is that if we want to make more money, we should allow our competitors to charge higher prices and make more money so that we could charge higher prices and make more money. What that also says is that, are we watching our competitors? Do they ever signal that they're gonna raise their price? What are we thinking when they do that? If they signal they're gonna raise their price, are we thinking, all right, we're gonna gain share, we can beat those guys? Or are we thinking, all right, they're gonna raise price, we should raise price and improve everybody's profitability. Is it, is it us against them? Or is it us doing the best that we can for our investors?
0: I think that's, that's good, and, I, and I, it, we often attribute personal emotions to business discussions and dealings that can sometimes get in the way. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Mark. It was a pleasure to have you on today, and I hope you'll join us again.
1: I, anytime I'm asked. Excellent.
0: All right. So that does it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Good Doctor and I. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.